Over the years, I've had many different teachers about the rhythms of God's grace, and especially of His grace and His love. And one was somewhat a surprise to me because I grew up in a very different tradition than he was coming out of. He is an ex-Catholic priest, and I say ex because he resigned the priesthood because he discovered he could not keep his vows of celibacy, and so he honorably resigned in order to get married. And he also is a recovering alcoholic, very open about his struggles, about his challenges, and about how he has experienced the grace of God. His name is Brennan Manning. I've learned much from his teaching, much from his books, much from personal conversation with him. And while I don't agree with all of his theological positions, heck, I don't even agree with all of my theological positions sometimes. On this issue, the grace of God, God as our Abba, God as our Father, the love of God, he is, he's got so much to teach us that have grown up within the evangelical world. So much that we've gone past. He was on the campus of Stanford University, as he talks about in his book, Ruthless Trust. And, and as 1999, he was walking across campus and there was a young man, a student that was there that, that came up to him and said, hey man, I love your baggy jeans. You're pretty cool for an old goat. And Brennan Manning, in typical fashion, came back very quickly and sharply and, and somewhat sarcastically to get into the moment. And he said this, he says, if you ain't cool, what's the point of going on? I mean, give me one good reason why you should go slogging through the molasses of this dark, dreary, dismal world. If you ain't cool, can you imagine what it's like to be uncool in a cool world? And the guy said, geez, it ain't that bad, man. You ought to go talk to the chaplain. And then he revealed to him who he was. He had been invited there to speak on the love of God, and he was going to be speaking in such and such a lecture hall and these different types of things. And here's what the young man said. He talked about how he had a relationship with Christ before going away, but he seemed so distant, so foreign. Listen to his words. The academic load is so heavy here. Stanford, no kidding. I used to have a vibrant prayer life in high school, but I've gotten so busy here with my studies and fraternity life and wanting to fit in that I've grown careless in my relationship with God. I really miss him. The young man wiped away tears and said, I want to feel his presence. Life in the fast lane keeps me so distracted that sometimes I wonder if I trust in God at all. Then I get scared but I keep doing the same stuff out of habit because I can't imagine any other alternative. I really wish that I were closer to God. Brennan goes on to say that the next day he talked to a faculty member that had almost the identical type of story. And she had listened to his lecture on the love of God and she said, when I got home that night, I cried for over an hour because I had been there, but I've drifted. I've let the rigors of academic pursuit and the, the peers that I have squeeze that out of me. I want to be back. Well, what advice would you give to someone who is in that position? Maybe you're there this morning. I know I've been there many times in my life, and, and it's a battle of the dryness of, of what comes and the routine of life, like in any relationship. And perhaps you're there today. What would you say to someone, though, who is in that environment? Well, you need to study more. You need to pray more. You need to give more. You need to serve more. You need to go to church more. Those are characteristically statements that we would give. And it may help. Or frankly, it might hurt. Because I can point you to many, many people 
that do all those things and it doesn't help them, it pushes them away. They just grow tired of the process and they become more bitter. They become more self-sanctimonious and self-righteous and judgmental. Just doing these practices does not guarantee a positive result, which would be a close personal connection and fellowship with the living God and His Son, Jesus. It doesn't guarantee walking in the Spirit just because we do these practices. And Jesus was very clear on that, as others before him. I, I appreciate Dallas Willard, who wrote in The Spirit of the Disciplines, a book that I mentioned a few weeks ago. And honestly, I read this as a part of doctoral study. It was required reading. And I'm going like, I don't want to read that. That sounds so dry, so boring, so dull, and the print is so small. I need more pictures. Can you identify with me? And yet, as I got into it, I think, I don't want to learn more about fasting and sacrifice and silence and all these types. And yet, as I begin to see what Dallas Willard was putting out there in this book, he gave me the why. And he cited a verse that really was a, a connection to me, having been in athletics all of my life. Well, not recently, but I watch it now. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is not the passage of the day, but it really sets the stage and the context for this. In 1 Timothy 4, he's saying, you should train yourself for godliness. And the word for train is the same word from which we get gymnasium. It's a place to work out. It's a place for drills. It's a place to practice. Train yourself. Most of us say, I'm trying to live the Christian life. Or one of my all-time least favorites is, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Look, if you really don't want me to punch you in the face, don't ever say good Christian around me. Because then I'll have to repent and I'll have to do all sorts of stuff. Usually that word is so onerous and so heavy and so guilt-laden. I'm not a very good Christian. You want to say obedient Christian? You want to say faithful Christian? You want to say growing Christian? You want to say struggling Christian? Whatever you want to say is fine. That helps us understand. But this word good oftentimes says, I've arrived. You have not. And some of that spiritual superiority that we see that Jesus was so down on in Scripture Maybe I'm too, too hard on it, but that's just the way I hear it and read it. Willard says, look, don't try to be an obedient Christian. Don't try to be a faithful Christ follower. Train to be a godly man or godly woman. Why would we expect it's just going to happen when very few things in life just happen without effort? The whole point is now these spiritual disciplines or rhythms of grace as we call them begin to make sense because as I fast, as I pray, as I give, as I serve, as I worship, as I do all these things, there is a, there are means to a greater end. It's like the training an athlete would do. Playing basketball in college and high school, there are certain things we did I loved and there are certain things I did I hated. And one of the drills that we always had in preparation for season, throughout the season, was what we called suicides. Well, suicide may be a different name, same result. It's where you start at the end line, the coach blows the whistle, and you run to the foul line, you come back to the end line, you go back to the timeline, you run back to the foul line, you go to the half court line, you run back to the end line, you go to the next timeline, you come, you're starting to get the picture? Sound pretty monotonous, boring, hard? You bet it was. So many times I'm doing it, I want to puke my guts out. And did, frequently. 
But I got to tell you, there was no fun in that. But I'll tell you where it did come through. Later in the season, perhaps later in the game, in the third quarter, fourth quarter, when everybody else's tongue's dragging out, it helps to have that extra discipline, that extra sense of conditioning. Or maybe later in the season when you get into tournament play. You see, that's what the spirit of the disciplines Dallas Willard is saying, and I think Jesus was saying. We're training to follow Jesus. It's not easy. He said, take up your cross and follow me. We do need to train, and that's what these disciplines are for. Not for the sake of them themselves, but for the end result of what they produce. Now, that's all this introduction. Aren't you great? Here's what it says in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 1. And one of the things is, it's going to be helpful to you only if you have it. Not do it the right way, but for the right reason. What's the why? And we see this in Matthew 6, 1. And then we'll pick up as we talk about prayer. And we're going to talk about fasting in that light. As far as these practices or these rhythms of grace. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you've got your Bibles, please turn. If you don't, we'll put on the screen, or it's already on the screen, or if you're watching on a digital device, that's great. Just know I'm reading out of the ESV. Here's what Jesus said. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your praying or your fasting or your giving or your service or your whatever it is in order to be seen by others. If that's the motivation, then it will not accomplish the designed and desired result. You're not going to be coming more like Jesus. You're not going to be experiencing a tighter, closer, more intimate, personal fellowship with him. You're not going to have that as a result of all of this effort if you're doing it for the sake of being seen by others. Katie said that earlier this morning. I really appreciate what she said. Don't, and when we're talking about giving, don't, don't, don't give just because of that judgy guy beside you. I had to remind her afterwards, you know, there are girls that are sort of judgy too. <laughs> Let's be politically correct here. That's not gender specific. So we talked about it. That's good. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, this is the bottom line is the spiritual disciplines or the rhythms of grace, such as prayer and fasting, are really between you and God. They're between me and God. Not to be done as show for other people. Now, isn't that freeing when we understand that this is the relationship? Matthew 6, 1 says, don't do it as a supply of religious spirit, uh, superiority. That's just... So that's pride, which is the mother and the root of all other sin. But it should show that your humility and your faith. In prayer, notice what it says in verse 5 through verse 6. And when you pray, notice that when you pray, not if you pray, not like this is. This is a normative part of our life as followers of Jesus. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners in order that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And another way to put this is just, this is an intimate conversation between you and God. That's what prayer is, is talking with God. 
It's critically important that we do. When you pray, every religion has some form of prayer where there's communication with the deity and to us that varies in its forms, but everyone does. I don't know if you realize this, but the majority of Americans, according to Gallup's polls over the years, say that the majority of Americans, depending on the poll that I've seen over the last number of years, it can run from 75% to 92% of Americans say they believe in prayer. In the UK, a, a similar poll that was done in 2016, and it says that, and this surprised me because it's, it's not known as today in this era a real spiritual, well, maybe spiritual, but certainly not church and Christianity, but four out of five people in the UK said that they believed in prayer. Now, that may be, Gallup in 2016 talked about, especially in praying for healing, praying for Someone to be healed, yourself or somebody else that you care about, said that 79% said they prayed for healing in the last year. And 87% said that they prayed for healing of someone else. You know, oftentimes we talk about the lack of prayer in public schools. I don't know what the big problem is. As long as there's pop quizzes, there's going to be prayer in the schools. If you think about it, absolutely. It may be a foxhole prayer. God, help! From people that don't even believe God exists, but it's there. Okay, there's some innate sense. So Jesus says, well, when you're praying, understand that this is between you and God. You're not really concerned about the other person. There's, there were people he's saying, and by the way, this is not about, an, it's not to say you shouldn't pray in public. It's saying you shouldn't pray in public with the wrong reason. If you're praying in public to be heard by other people and you're not really engaging in prayer outside of that, then your motives are messed up. And he says, you'll have your reward in full. You ever been around people and they, they pray, oh, they pray all these marvelous, scriping the Milky Way and all these theological terms. And they're going, wow, I wish I could pray like that. Maybe, maybe not. Because I've heard people pray like that. They walk out the door and it didn't affect their life in the marketplace or in their family. I say, don't worry about what somebody else is thinking. So many times I hear people say, well, I, I pray, but I, I'm just, I don't know the right words to say. And that gets in the next passage. I don't know the right words. When we're concerned about that, what are we concerned about? What somebody else thinks. Look, this is your conversation with God. Who cares if the person in your prayer circle gets their shorts in the wad because you don't use the right words? Talk to God. Tell him your heart. Tell him your concerns. Tell him your joys. Tell him the, the dreams of your heart. Bring, the, like you would, the, your best friend. This is between you and him. Your Abba, the one who loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you when you were still, as I was still, in my sin and in my rebellion. He loved us then. So much so that he made a relation, way for us to have a relationship with him. Now that we're his children, how much more do you think he longs for us to come to him? Come to him. It's between you and him. Don't worry about anybody else, but talk with him. Even if it's in your thinking, maybe it's baby talk. Then I've never met a parent yet that doesn't love baby talk. Tell him, Dada. As long as it's real, as long as it's, it's you, as long as it's honest, come to him. 
Jesus did this. Read through the Gospel of Luke and see how frequently Jesus came as a matter of life. You know, before he calls his disciples, he spends the night in prayer. You know, after one of the very, very busiest days of ministry and still people clamoring around him, he goes away, separates himself from the crowd. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, to pray, to be with the Father. His life and his example exudes prayer and the fervency of that. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, says this, and I quote, prayer was the dominant feature of his life and a recurring part of his teaching. To Jesus, listen, prayer was not a hasty add-on, but a joyous necessity. He's talking with him. You You know what happens, those of you that are in a relationship, when you have good communication, that the closeness is tighter, you bond more well. You resolve issues. But when there's an absence of communication, what happens to that sense of fellowship or closeness? Doesn't it get strained occasionally? Why would we think it wouldn't happen in the same way in our fellowship or intimacy with our God? Jesus knew and maintained that. Bill Hybels, who pastors a huge church in Illinois, uh, and, and he is the type of guy with leadership skills. He could probably lead any Fortune 500 company in America. And he's a type A, hard-driven type of individual. And, and he basically said at a period of his life that he thought prayer was a, like a, an embarrassing interruption. I knew I needed to do it, he said. And, but yet it wasn't something I struggled with this. And, and he comes to the point where he said it had not always been a strong suit, but he had a sense and an urging and an inclination that he felt always from the Spirit of God that was so persistent and so strong that he could not deny it. And that was he began to study prayer. And then he said, I did something absolutely radical. I started praying. And in the praying, many answers to prayer came, but he said this was absolutely the best thing. The greatest thrill has been the qualitative difference in my relationship with God. He writes in, too busy not to pray. He goes on to say this, and I love the the fact of the authenticity of that relationship. He words it well, so hang with me as, as I just read you what he says. Authentic Christianity is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people all marching the same way. It is simply not simply humanitarian service to the less fortunate. It's a walk. A supernatural walk with a living, dynamic, communicating God. Thus the heart and soul of the Christian life is is to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. Authentic Christians are persons who stand apart from others, even other Christians, as though listening to a different drummer. Their character seems deeper, their ideas fresher, their spirit softer, their courage greater, their leadership stronger, their concerns wider, their compassion more genuine, and their convictions more concrete. They are joyful in spite of difficult circumstances and show wisdom beyond their years. Who would not like to have that type of experience? I do. Do you? He goes on to say, embarrassingly, few Christians ever reach this level of authenticity. Most Christians are just too busy. And the arch enemy of spiritual authenticity is busyness, which is closely tied to something the Bible calls worldliness. 
getting caught up with this society's agenda, objectives, and activities to the neglect of walking with God. Amen. That is so right on. And sad to say, I've experienced that. I bet you have too. Are we too busy not to pray? Not to get along with God? The second thing that we see about this is it's an intimate conversation between you and God. It's also an honest conversation between you and God as we pray. Matthew 6 says this, and it's closely tied. Look at verses 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or the pagans do, those that are outside of the covenant relationship with God. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. He says, instead, pray this way. Now, I want to pause there. Just hit the pause button. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying memorized prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer in a memorized fashion. But understand his reasoning behind this was not to say the right words. He was saying, pray like this. And he's giving his disciples a model prayer, representative prayer, not to be confined to what's here. Now, we've studied that in the past. I even did a message on this a number of months ago. You're going, you did? I had to look it up myself. But listen to what it says in the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, pause it there a second. Notice the term. Not, oh, great divine experience of the universe. Our Father. Such an intimately personal term. Like a child coming to his or her father and saying, Dad, Daddy. Father, our Father who art in heaven, there's a transcendence to him. There's also an eminence or a closeness to him in that phrase. There's a distance because he's God, we're not, and we need to recognize that. He's not our good buddy. He's not the big man. He is God, and we are not. We need to remember that. But he also is a God who invites us in. He's not an absentee landlord or some at a distance. He wants that closeness. Hallowed, holy be your name. Revered and honored and respected. He goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm praying that your, your kingdom will come to earth as you've promised. I'm praying for that day. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm praying that in the meantime, what will happen here and what will happen then is that we will be in obedience to you, even as the angels in heaven are in obedience, that we will be in obedience. Most of us, frankly, are, are educated beyond our obedience. Intelligence too, but obedience is another issue. Your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Oh, by the way, you know what's keeping God's kingdom from being established? All Peter says it's because Christ is waiting to come back until all who will receive him have done so. So what should we do if we want the kingdom of God to come? Let's reach out to as many people as we can. As God puts in our path, let's represent him well. Give us this day our daily bread. We should come to him asking, realizing we are dependent upon him to provide for us and recognize that. 
It's not selfish. He asks us and tells us to. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Most of us want to put the period at the end of, God, forgive me and my, my misgivings, my misdeeds. Forgive me my debts. And I'm just going to tear out the rest of that. And that's condition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. See, it's hypocrisy to be the recipient of God's forgiveness and to be unwilling to dispense God's forgiveness to those that have shafted us. That's a whole nother sermon. And this is, not, this is not about how to become a Christian. Remember, this is the Lord's Prayer to his disciples. This is how to maintain fellowship as a follower of Jesus. It's that closeness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, give me victory over these things that dog my steps. Pray like this. And oftentimes fasting is connected with prayer throughout the scriptures. And we just have a few minutes. Let's touch on it. Some of you are going, that's great. I'm glad. You can skip that. We can leave if you want to. Matter of fact, I told Emily, my wife, for those of you that don't know what I was preaching on today, prayer and fasting, she said, oh, great, Rick. You realize we're taking our son and his, his wife out for their birthday luncheon today? And we're going to a nice restaurant? You're trying to heap the guilt and shame on me? Not that, but fasting. When you fast. Look at what he says in verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees and others, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Why are they doing that? To be seen by others. So, oh, you're so spiritual. You're so committed. I wish I was as dedicated as you are. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It's the approval of people. But when you, know the contrast, this is the way, when you fast as a Christ follower, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but instead by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me just tell you, a lot of times people get hung up on this. Uh, prayer, fasting like prayer is really an expression and reminder of our dependence upon God. It's between us and God. Don't do this for somebody else. There's a lot of different forms of fast. We think of food as probably the immediate one. It's the most common one. We see this in the life of Jesus. We see this in the life of others. There's fasting for seasons of service. There's fasting for repentance. There's fasting uh, just for times of prayer. There's all sorts of fasting. And oftentimes that's, that's food. It could be beverages. And I'm not just talking about alcoholic beverages versus soft drinks, for instance. If I want to say I'm going to, for a season of time, I'm just going to drink water. I'm not going to drink any soft drink or whatever your favorite beverage is. That's a form of a fast. In 1 Corinthians 7, it actually talks about sex. And sex is a good thing. It's designed by God. It talks about not having sex for a season of time between a husband and wife. But there's two caveats. One, by mutual consent... Neither person can say, hey, I'm not going to have sex for the next 10 years. <laughs> Wrong. That's not healthy. Okay? Mutual consent and only for a limited period of time for the purpose of training in godliness. There's nothing wrong. It's just saying we're choosing to do this for a higher, better purpose for this season. 
there's different times. Jesus fasted for 40 days. It's not necessarily, that's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Fast 40 days, if God leads you, that's fine. I have a hard time fasting 40 minutes, but that's a whole other story. I understand I grew up in the South, and from the time you eat lunch, you're talking about what we're going to have for dinner. It's not what you do. It's why you do it that makes the difference. Whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting. I mentioned earlier that I'd learned a lot from Brennan Manning. He is a, he's an author, converse, or was author, speaker. But I got to tell you, one of the ones that I learned the most from, never wrote a book, never traveled very far other than in her prayers, is my wife's mother, Emily's mother, Mildred. And I learned so much from her. The last 20-something years of her life, she lived as a widow. And as a widow, she had a great relationship and intimacy with God, who was her husband. She had such an ability to talk with people about Jesus, but it was simply because she was obedient and she followed the leading of the Spirit. She's led telemarketers to Christ. She led some junior high girls to Christ that called in a prank one day, and she led both of them to the Lord over the phone. So it wasn't a real big surprise when this lady calls and says, is this Mildred Scanlon? She says, yes, it is. She said, are you the lady that prays with people over the phone? She said, yes, I am. This is in Tennessee. And she said, uh, well, I just got out of jail and and I'm afraid I'm going to go back and I'm going to fall into old ways. Would you pray for me? She said, darling, I will do that. I'll get down on my knees right now in the kitchen floor and I'll pray for you. And she did. That was her reputation. Then there was one day, I'll tell you about this intimacy and this closeness. Again, her husband had been gone. Jim was a great guy. I loved him dearly. And yet, it was cold. One of those first evenings in the, in the fall when, when it gets cold and you turn the furnace on. And She turned the furnace on. She thought she smelled smoke. Well, the furnace was underneath the house. There was a, a dugout basement. And to get to it, you had to go outside of the house because there was no access from inside. You could go in steps on the outside. It was rainy and wet and slippery. And she was concerned that she would slip and fall legitimately. But that was the only way to get out there. So she's praying to the God that she loves so much and to Jesus who is her Savior in more than one way. God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And she said she had really sensed the Spirit of God say to her, well, Mildred, why don't you just go out to the garage where the car is parked, get in the car because you don't have to go outside. That's all indoors. And then drive the car around the driveway and shine the light on the basement door where the furnace is and just lift it up and you can see what's going on. She said, that's a good idea. You know, it's the conversation nature of what's going on in this relationship. And that's exactly what she did. But notice the intimacy and the personal connection born out of a life of praying. And I'm sure fasting, though I never heard her talk about it. And many other ways of service. Do you want a relationship like that? Do you want that class of closeness, that fellowship, that type of walk, that authenticity? It's born as we come to him, as he's decreed, in the right uh, uh, motivation. You know, I'm wearing this shirt, 77. You see some other people around here. 1977, there are a group of people that were challenged to come to the Paradise Valley Mall area from Bethany Bible. They left the youth programs. They left the music programs. They left all of the different trappings of what church is known to be to step out of the boat in faith 
and they walked on water by God's grace to start Desert Springs Bible Church. That was sourced and founded in a boatload of, no pun intended, and a lot of prayer. I believe also fasting. It's beautiful to see the faith and the trust, and that's really what this is all about. Brennan Manning called his book Ruthless Trust. That's what this is about. God, I will trust you above all others. I love you above all others. The cool thing about that is the more we allow him to love us and we express the, the better our other relationships are too. You know, uh, I just encourage you to praise God. We have a vision meeting that's going to happen the end of August. Come to that. You know, it's not just like over the last 40 years, this is what God's done. Okay, check. That's good. We happen to believe that God has had us here for 40 years for something bigger yet that he wants to have happen. And it's exciting to be a part of that that is born and sourced in prayer. Now, rather than just talk about prayer today, let me give you the opportunity to do that. You know, in the card holder in front of you, there's a card like this that says prayer request. Would you reach out and take that out? If you're a good Christian, you'll take this out. I <laughs> uh, see what I did there? <laughs> okay, don't punch me in the face afterwards. That, I, that's total tongue in cheek. Okay, I, whether you write anything on this is your decision, but I do want you to, to look at it and say, okay, is there something I can thank God for today? Is there something I just want to say, God, you're awesome. I just want to praise you. And write that as a form of prayer. That's a form of prayer. Maybe you've got a request that you want to bring before God and put that on here. Maybe you've got something you need to confess. God, I confess. Now, I, I want to encourage you, don't write your name on here uh, if you don't want it known. But this is between you and God, remember? Let's use this for the next couple of minutes, and I'll come back and tell you what we want to do with these. You can... And, and you can take them with you if you just want, but this is an exercise. And if you don't want to write anything, that's okay. This is not a legalistic exercise, but I would encourage you and give you the time to do that right now, just in the next couple of minutes. If you need a few more minutes, please feel free to stay after we adjourn the service or just stick around and find some place to finish what you're writing. Again, this is between you and the Lord. If it's a prayer request that, or a praise or anything that you are fine with having just in the open. Like these boards are along here. These are diff different prayer requests or praises or different things that we've asked people to do. You can pin them to that. That would be wonderful. Uh, if it's something you want a response on, don't do that because we're not going to go through and try to find yours out of all of these. If you do need a response, we would be honored to help you with something just do give us your contact information on there if you want a response. And drop those in those metal containers that say connection cards as you go out or hand them to one of our ushers. We're so glad that you were here this morning. Hope this has been helpful to you and encouraging because we have such a privilege to be able to come before the King and Creator of the universe and call Him Father. Would you join me as we pray right now and um, just honor Him in that fashion? Gracious God, our Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us today, for the truth of your word, for the pattern that you have established in the Lord Jesus and in people like many of the apostles and even other Christian leaders throughout the years and, and people that we know. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of calling you Father and for being able to come to you anytime, place, anywhere, and to know that you will never turn us away. 
Lord God, we thank you for this. You know the men and women that are in this room. You know the concerns and thoughts of their hearts. You know the, the joys that are their prayer, that you would, you would just really amplify those joys, that they might be grounded in you. And you know the concerns and the fears that are there, and I pray that you would buffer those as they come to you and guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as they bring them to you. Father, we pray that you will be God in our lives, that we will recognize your rightful place there, and we will follow you wherever that leads, whatever that means, so that others might know the Lord Jesus and grow in him. For it's in his name we pray. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen this morning? Amen. amen.